Isn't it good just to be together in God's presence and worship Him, declare who He is? So awesome. Thank you. You can be seated. And thank you, worship team, for doing such a fabulous job this morning and encouraging us and leading us into God's presence. And I, I loved that new song we sang. I don't know where you came up with that one, Robert. Did you write it? You should have. Oh, that's a Hillsong song. Okay. Oh, it's old school. 2010. Where have I been? Excuse me, this is me crawling out from under the rock. I've been, I want us to do that at the end of the service. And uh, I mean, we haven't done that one here. It's been around for a while, obviously. But uh, just so on point with where I've, I felt the Holy Spirit uh, uh, leading me to go in our message this morning. And so just a real uh, affirmation to me. So that, that's awesome. Boy, it's uh, just been, huh, summer is so fun. I mean, we, we talk about, you know, kind of a change routine, but we got to do some fun stuff in the summer. And uh, that Silly Boat uh, race that we had last week was great. And thank you to Ian and, and the entire Silly Boat team that worked hard to put that together. And that was just so fun. And of course, we got in a new spake camp that's going on right now. And I heard Mids Camp was fabulous. And we've got a whole crew that were out there this past week uh, working in every conceivable way at camp, from being campers to uh, being counselors and being people that are serving in the kitchen and on various ministry teams like first aid and that sort of thing. So thank you if you've been involved in the new Bay Camp. And this morning, uh, we've got another whole crew out there because Highs Camp uh, starts today. And so Pastor Ryan's out there with a bunch of people. I always thought Highs Camp is kind of a funny name for a teen Bible camp. Um, it's Highs as in Senior Highs Camp, right? Not High. you know, it's like, you know, in our day and age, it's just kind of weird to call something High, you know. But anyway, um, you know, it's a Senior High Camp. So Looking forward to that, and, and that's just going to be a great week. And just, friends, again, can you just pray that the Lord will just really speak to our, our youth that are there and, and youth from all over the island and the lower mainland that, that gather there. So, um, but I love camp. I love summer camp. Uh, how many went to summer camp as a kid? Did, did you, summer, especially Bible camp, did you go to Bible camp as a kid? I went to Bible camp. I loved Bible camp. Some of my best memories as a kid are from camp. Uh, we would go to family camp. We would go to kids camp. I would go to youth camp. And uh, I mean, when I was a kid, nothing was better than kids camp because no mom and dad, right? It was, I mean, maybe when you're little, that, that, was, that was hard, but you know, you kind of get into those, those preteen years, you know, kids camp was, was, was pretty cool. And uh, one summer, in fact, I went a number of summers, but one specific summer, I, I remember going to uh, Red Rock Bible Camp in the White Shell. And if Pastor Chantel's in the room, she'll give a big shout out. I guess she's not in the room. She's somewhere else. But anyway, uh, yeah, because you know when Pastor Chantel's in the room, you hear her. Anyways, um, in a good way. I love it. She, she, she's wonderful. Anyway, um, Went to Red Rock Bible Camp. It was the time of my life. It was awesome. Uh, the, the next week, Dallas went to, to camp because he was just in kind of that, that next younger group. And uh, remember talking with a friend uh, when they got back. It was a, a friend of Dallas and, and mine. And I said, hey, how was camp? Because I had loved camp that week. And he said, well, I didn't like it. It was boring. It was boring? How could camp be boring? I mean, did it rain all week? Well, no, it hadn't rained all week. Well, didn't you go swimming? 
and, and canoeing? And, and wasn't there archery? And, and did you climb the fire lookout tower? That was one of the things we had done the week before. They'd, we'd gone to the, to the fire station. We'd climbed this, this huge fire lookout tower. You had to go up this skinny ladder all the way up to the top. And, and I mean, that was just an amazing thing to do. And then, of course, there was chapel, and they'd had a choir that was really cool that I was a part of. And we played Capture the Flag. And, and you know, I, campfires, I mean, camp was awesome. And he said it was boring? Well, as we talked a little bit about it, um, I found out that he really didn't do anything at camp. You know, he just didn't participate except go to chapel uh, because I guess he had to. <laughs> Otherwise, it was almost like all he did was, was sit around squatting, uh, swatting mosquitoes, you know, avoiding the bears, uh, waiting for the camp to be over so he could get out of that wilderness and go home. I mean, that, that, that seemed to be uh, his his experience with camp. Uh, and no wonder he was bored. No wonder he hated it because here's what I've discovered about camp. What you get out of camp is directly proportional to what you put into camp, right? I mean, they can't make you have fun at camp. But if you will engage, if you will participate, if you'll get into it, camp is usually pretty awesome. It's a lot of fun. And you know, that's not just true about camp. It's true about life. As the great theologian Clint Eastwood once said, <laughs> go ahead, make my day. No, no, what, 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 what Clint Eastwood said was, you put into life, what you put into life is what you get out of it. And frankly, I don't know why they attribute that to Clint Eastwood. I mean, my mother used to say that all the time. I don't know, maybe she had a secret crush on Clint. I don't know. But, uh, you know, what you put into life is, is what you get out of it. And that's not just true about life in general. I think that's particularly true about your spiritual life. The vitality of your spiritual life, the vitality of your life and experience with Jesus is directly proportional to what you put into it. Here's what I found. Sometimes I talk with followers of Jesus and the impression that they leave me with is that their experience, their, their spiritual experience is a lot like my friend's experience at summer camp. Christianity's kind of boring. Uh, you can't wait for it to be over. You know, you have to go to chapel uh, because they make you. <laughs> but beyond that, it's basically just kind of being stuck in the middle of the wilderness that's full of bears and mosquitoes, cut off from all the comforts and fun of civilization. Can't we just go home? That's almost the impression that you get. But can I just say that if that's your experience following Jesus... Somehow you've managed to miss the essence of what it means to actually follow Jesus. Because Jesus said this, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to do what? Give them a rich and satisfying life. Not a, a boring life, not a humdrum, send me home, I'm bored kind of life, 
but a rich and satisfying life. And there's three words that, that Jesus chose from when he used that word life. He could have used the word bios, which talks about our biological life, you know, uh, physical life, our, our bodies, but that's not the word that he used. He could have used the word psyche in, in the Greek, from which we get our word psychology, and that refers to kind of our intelligence, our intelligent life. Um, but that's not the word that he used because our experience with Jesus is more than just something that we think about. It's more than just a, a theology. He used zoe. That's another Greek word that means an absolute fullness of life. Life that is at the highest level. It's not just biological, it's not just intellectual, but it's something that absorbs all of who you are. It's, it's highest level living. And Jesus said, that's the kind of life that I have come to bring. Now that's not to say that the life Jesus promised us isn't without challenges. There can and are difficulties and, and there will be dry seasons, but there is a depth and a richness and a satisfaction to life with him that you simply can't find anywhere else. That's why Jesus came. But this deep, rich life doesn't just happen. We need to engage. We need to actively participate and partner with God in what he wants to do in us and who he wants to be in us. Friends, we just can't be passive in our spiritual experience. We need to lean in. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they're just kind of like sitting back and it's like they're not even there? Or maybe you've had a conversation with somebody where they're sitting on the edge of their chair and they're looking at you right in the eye, they're leaning in. That's, that's the posture that we need to take in our spiritual walk. So uh, we're in the middle of a summer teaching series that we've called Spirit Filled. Uh, one of our core values as Generations Church is that, that we're Pentecostal and we are part of a Pentecostal fellowship, but our core value is not particularly about being part of a denomination or, or a fellowship. Uh, it's not even about a particular form of worship or style of church that we would have. Uh, it's actually about recognizing that we are to be people of the Spirit. We are, we are to be a spirit-filled people, uh, a people that uh, a church corporately that is spirit-filled, and it's actually not an option. It's, it's indispensable. His presence in us, our awareness of his presence in us is something that we need to actively pursue. It's something that we need to nurture. It's something that we need to cultivate. It's something that we need to invite. We need to lean in to the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's activity in our lives. Friends, we are called to actively participate and partner with God with what he's doing in us. Remember last week we were talking about this, that, that the work of the Spirit in our lives, it starts with an awareness, but it needs to move from awareness to, to an openness. Okay, I'm open. But then it actually needs to move past an openness to a place where we actively desire, where we hunger and thirst for all that God has for us. And part of what we're doing is, is we're, we're on this progression to move from an awareness of, of the Spirit of God, who he is, what he's about, to, to an openness, to an actual hunger and pursuit of him in our lives. In fact, check out what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11. And I want you to notice the posture that he wants us to take in our relationship 
with him in this, in this passage. So Jesus says this, I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. And, and the verb uh, tense there are, is uh, present imperatives, each of those three verbs. You know, it's something that you just don't do once. It's something that, that you just keep on doing. It's just a lifestyle. It's just a habit of who you are. And Jesus goes on. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he gives a little parable. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. And, and then notice here at the end how Jesus applies what he just said. Because friends, this is, this is really important. This is, this is fascinating. So Jesus says, so if you sinful people or just human people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give what? An egg. Uh, uh, bread. No, he, he turns it completely and he says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is the ultimate gift. So have you asked the Father to give you the Holy Spirit? Have you asked for this gift? Jesus says that we're supposed to ask. So let's unpack this passage a little bit. The first thing that I want us to understand is that the Holy Spirit is a good gift from a good father. We were singing that this morning. You're a good, good father. The Holy Spirit is a good gift from a good father. Jesus said, hey, listen, if, if you human sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? Not just a good gift, but an amazingly good gift. It's like the Dutch pancakes, so much gooder. It's a gooder gift, okay? And the Holy Spirit is the best gift because the Holy Spirit is how we experience God. If you have ever felt God's presence, if, if you've ever kind of felt God speak to you, that is the Holy Spirit who's doing that. The Holy Spirit is the source of our spiritual life. The life that is in you is there because the Holy Spirit is in you. Now, all of us have a desire for life to be better, for life to be fuller and, and richer. You know, for some of us, we, we think, if I could just have a good night's sleep, life would be so much gooder. <laughs> I, I don't know. Last night, the, the, the people just down below us, some of our neighbors, they were having some kind of gathering, and they were literally out on their patio all night. When I got up this morning at 6 a.m., they were still out on their patio talking. You know how sound travels uphill? You know, I just wanted a water balloon launcher. You know, just a, oh, I'm sorry, that, that, that wasn't very spiritual, but there, there were moments, there were moments last night. God bless my neighbors, bring them to Jesus, help them to go to bed Saturday night so they come to church Sunday morning. Anyway, okay. Um, or maybe it's your neighbor's dog, or, or actually it's our neighbor's cats that, that think our yard is their place to 
you, you, I won't get any more, you know. You know, life would be so much gooder if our flower beds didn't smell like that. You know, or if my kids would only clean their room. You know, if, if we wouldn't have this battle, you know, with, with them in that way. And so there's these things in our life that we just think, you know, life would be so much gooder if, if there would, you know, if rum and raisin ice cream would go on sale at Country Grocer. Actually, uh, last week, I, I have to admit, I, I made a huge theological mistake in my message. And I, I need to just bring that up and I need to apologize, say I'm sorry. I kind of implied last week that ice cream is seasonal. <laughs> I said that, you know, summer is the season for ice cream when obviously every season is the season for ice cream. I mean, why would they make candy cane ice cream in December if you weren't supposed to eat ice cream in the wintertime, right? So I apologize last night if some of you lost faith in me, if, if, you, if you questioned my, you know, my anointing on my life or, or my understanding of the word of God, you know, I just understand, I apologize. I wanted to clarify that. Every season is the season for ice cream. And by the way, I was also told that if you make rum and raisin ice cream yourself and you're not careful, it can actually be inebriated. But anyway... We all intuitively know and understand that there is more to life. And unfortunately, friends, we try and find that fulfillment in so many different things. We try and find it in a relationship. We try and find it in a career or a bigger house or a great vacation. And that's not where it's at. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said, nearly all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, War, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. People desperately trying to find that sense of life. Life that can only be found in the Holy Spirit. The gift from our good Father. One of the festivals that the Jewish people used to celebrate was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Also, the Feast of Shelters, Feast of Booths. It was kind of the, the feast with a bunch of different names. All kind of meant the same thing. And, and so during this feast, Jews would come from all over the world. And they would come to Jerusalem to celebrate and actually kind of act out the story of the exodus of Israel from Egypt. And so part of it is that people would live in in booths or tents for seven days. It was kind of like going to camp. They would move out of their house, move into their tents, move into their booths. I mean, the kids must have loved it. You know, just this, it was this kind of week-long celebration where we're going to go camping and we're going to commemorate how our ancestors were, were led by the Lord through the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, another thing that they would do as part of that festival is that they would draw water from one of the pools in Jerusalem, the, the Pool of Siloam, and they would take it to the temple and they would pour this water out uh, on the altar in the temple uh, ceremonially. So this water represented the miracles that God did for the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness, uh, supplying them water when they were in the desert. 
because water is the source of life. Water, water is life-giving. If you don't have water, you're not going to survive. And so God miraculously, on a number of occasions, supernaturally provided them the water of life. And so they would draw the water from the Pool of Siloam, lug it all the way up to the temple, pour it out with ceremony and fanfare. And then on the seventh day, they would actually do it seven times. It was a big deal. And then John, in, in the story of Jesus that, that, that he writes in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, he says this, on the last and greatest day of the festival, talking about this Feast of Tabernacles, it says that Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice. So while the water is being poured out on, on the altar in, in the temple, Jesus stands up and he says in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. If, if you're looking for life-giving water, come to me. And, and that word living there, it's, it's, the, it's a word that's related to that word zoe. Uh, you know, that fullness of life, that, that fullness of life. If you want living water, come to me because that's the way that it's going to flow, just not from a pot that gets drawn out of a, a pool, but, but from something deep inside of anyone who believes in me. So what is this living water that Jesus is talking about? Well, John clarifies exactly what Jesus meant. Because he doesn't want to leave many, any misunderstanding. Jesus wasn't talking about any form of liquid or H2O. Jesus was actually talking about the Holy Spirit. Because the next verse, Jesus says, by, or uh, John clarifies, he says, By this he meant what? The Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So here's this crowd standing around, worshiping God at the temple, watching the water that symbolizes life being poured out on the altar until it runs dry, until it runs out and the ceremony is over. And Jesus says, hey, listen, if you want a ceremony that's never over, if you want to have a source of water in your life that, that never runs out, you come to me. Come to me. I will give you a living water that will never run dry. And he shouted it to the crowd. He wanted people to taste this life that was from him. Friends, there is something that is calling us to life at a higher level. There is something that is calling us to be truly alive, but from deep inside, a call to be fully alive to God and all that he has for us. And that's the kind of life that Jesus is talking about. And friends, that's the kind of life that you and I crave as humans because that's the kind of life we were created for. That was always God's intents. Now Jesus says this good gift from our good father is yours. If, if you really want life, it's, it's found in my spirit. And, and friends, we need to understand that this isn't optional. It's actually essential. It's essential. So the Holy Spirit is a good gift from a good father. But as I think about the words of Jesus, specifically in, in Luke chapter 11, I also realize that he wants us to ask for God's good gift. He wants us to ask for God's good gift. 
Uh, again, let's, let's check out Luke chapter 11, specifically verse 13. Jesus says, so if you sinful human people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? How does he finish the sentence? To those who ask. One of the things I love about being Pentecostal is that as Pentecostals, we believe and understand that there is a relationship with the Holy Spirit available to us that goes beyond the wonderful work of the Spirit of God in our life uh, in salvation. And I understand that not all Christians would necessarily believe this in the, in the same way. And if you're new to Generations Church, uh, especially if you're coming from other church backgrounds that may not have heard about this, um, this might strike you as, as, as new or unusual, or maybe you've heard some different teaching on this, or in fact, maybe you've heard some negative stuff about this, uh, about spirit baptism, and, and if that's where you're at, um, that's, you know what, that's okay. I'm not asking you to, to drink the Kool-Aid here this morning, okay? You, you don't have to completely buy, you don't have to buy in to be part of our church. You can, you can come, be, be part of us, but uh, just kind of listen closely as, as I try to talk about this for a few minutes here, okay? And even if you're part of Generations Church, if you've been part of us for a long time, uh, don't turn me out uh, or tune me out because you've heard this before. Um, because frankly, this is really important stuff. And I know we don't talk a lot about this here at Generations, but this is stuff that, again, it's part of our core values of who we are because we understand that it is an absolutely indispensable part of the rich and satisfying spiritual life that Jesus wants us to have with himself through his spirit. So let's talk about this. And I was, you know, just kind of, Lord, how can, how, can, how can we understand this a little differently or maybe a little bit better, more, more sharply? And what I've come up with is this. Uh, the New Testament teaches that there's two indispensable works of the spirit in our lives. There's the work of salvation, and then there's another work, the spirit baptism. And really, they can be illustrated by these two different kinds of baptisms that are in Scripture. And Jesus actually talks about these two different kind of baptisms in Acts chapter 1. This is after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, and he's just kind of hanging around with the disciples just shortly before he ascends back to his Father in heaven. And he says, it says this, once when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. So here we're using some gift language that we've already seen. And then Jesus says, John baptized you with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in this one sentence, Jesus is talking about these two different kinds of baptism. The, the first is baptism with water. It was started by John the Baptist. In fact, he wasn't the only guy baptizing like that at the time. It was kind of a, a cultural thing that was going on. And so John the Baptist, they call him the Baptist because he baptized people, right? Jesus was baptized. The, the disciples were baptized. You find in Jesus' ministry that, that people that would come to Jesus were baptized by his disciples. And it was something that was carried on into the practice of the New Testament church. When a person gave their life to Jesus, they were to be baptized in water. It was a, a, a picture, it was an enactment 
of the story of Jesus, the story of his death, the story of his resurrection, and that we believe and actually spiritually participate with him in, in that story. It's also symbolic of the washing away of our sins and symbolic of us receiving life by his spirit. It was at Jesus' baptism that the spirit descended on him. So, so there's something significant about that. And you read about water baptism throughout the New Testament. We still practice it today. It's always one of my favorite Sundays here at Generations Church. And if you've never been baptized in water, and if you're a follower of Jesus, it's something that you need to do. We're going to have a baptismal service in September, okay? So you just get ready for it. But there's another baptism that Jesus talked about in this verse, and it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this baptism is different from what the baptism in water represents. If water baptism, if we can put it this way, is something that happens on the outside, baptism of the Spirit is something that happens on the inside. It's a supernatural release of the living water from within you. So in baptism, water baptism, you go down into the water. In spirit baptism, the water comes up inside of you. Okay, so, so there's, there's two different things going on here. Uh, remember what Jesus said, and I just love the water language that he uses in John 7. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will what? Flow from where? Within. It's a work of the spirit on the inside. And by this, he meant the spirit. Who those who believed in him were later to receive. And so this... Uh, water baptism is something that happens on the outside. You go down into the water. Spirit baptism is something that happens on the inside. The water comes up from within. It's a fuller release of the Holy Spirit who is already in us. Because if you believe in Jesus, the, 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 the baptism in water represents and helps us understand the Holy Spirit's already here. We're saved. And so we read the rest of the story. It happened just like Jesus said. A few days later, Jesus ascended into heaven. The disciples went back to Jerusalem. They waited on the Lord. And on the day of Pentecost, it happened for the first time. And Acts 2, 4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So there were other outward signs of God's presence in that moment. You can read about the wind, the sound of the wind. You can read about the little flames of fire that came down. But there was a supernatural release of living water from within. And the disciples that were there were filled to overflowing from the inside out. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And it's something that Jesus wants his followers to experience, even today. And it's not just something that we're supposed to experience, but it's actually something that we are supposed to have as part of our lives. It is something that, that is, is to just be part of that flow of living water, that real life that God wants us to have. So when you go down in the waters of baptism... Baptized in water. How do you know you've been baptized in water? You get wet. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, splish, splash, taking a bath. Up you come, you're wet. And it's always embarrassing for a preacher if you don't get them quite all the way down. 
and they don't come up totally wet. I mean, that, that's, you almost need to re, redunk them, right? So, because you come up and you're supposed to be wet. Well, what's the sign that you've been baptized in the Spirit? There's, there's prophetic speech. There's, there's something audible that happens. You speak in tongues. And, and uh, tongues is, is spiritual language. It's a language you didn't learn. It's a language that you don't necessarily even understand. It's a spiritual language that you speak in partnership with the Holy Spirit. You speak as the Spirit enables you. And maybe you're sitting here right now and go, you know, I kind of like this church, but once in a while it gets weird. And frankly, Darcy, this, this, is, this is just kind of weird. This is just kind of crazy. I mean, think about it. Really, even water baptism is kind of crazy, right? I mean, we've got a tank right back here. We fill it up with water. In fact, we got our baptismal tank filled now. We can fill that tank up in 16 minutes. It's amazing, yeah, and then it takes about another 48 hours to heat. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but hey, that's way better than it, than it used to be. So we've got that. You, got, you're, you come to church, but you gotta bring a spare change of clothes and, 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 a, and a comb and a towel because you're gonna go down into water. You're gonna get wet. They're gonna dunk you. They're gonna pray over you. You're gonna come up and, and it's something that you're supposed, you know, it's kind of weird. Well, if that's weird, I gotta admit, spirit baptism sounds even crazier. It's, it's this living water of the Holy Spirit that, that fills you from you within. And when that happens, you start speaking in a strange, supposedly spiritual language that you haven't learned and don't understand. And a lot of people read a verse like that or, or hear a talk like this and they go, well, that's just weird. Frankly, I, I'm, I'm not interested it doesn't make sense. And one of the questions that I get asked about this is that, do I really need to pray in tongues when I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I mean, like, who needs that? Like, what's that all about? Why is speaking in tongues the sign? I mean, of all the things that God could have used as a sign of his presence in us, why is speaking in tongues the sign that God gives repeatedly then throughout the book of Acts and, and repeatedly through? I mean, why couldn't it have been the sound of the wind? Oh, I heard the wind. I'm spirit filled. Or why couldn't it be like this visual thing of this, this flame of fire that, that Actually, that'd be kind of weird too, wouldn't it? All of a sudden you see this, where there'd be all kinds of fire alarms going off. And anyway, so... You know, but why is it this, this tongues thing? And you know what? Those are good questions. Great questions. Important questions. And just as we kind of move towards the end of this, this talk here, let me talk about the fact that I think that there is a significance about speaking in tongues that even many of us who've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit don't often fully understand or appreciate. And I want to touch on just two things. First one's this. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's something that we actually experience. It's something we actually experience. It's not just something we hope has happened. It's not just something we believe has happened. It's something that we actually experience. Donald G., the, the great British Pentecostal pastor said, the spirit is not vaguely received by faith through mental assent to a doctrine. 
Rather, spirit baptism is the observable breaking into our existence by God's Spirit. There's actually something supernatural that happens in my life and your life when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And speaking in tongues not only expresses that something supernatural is, happens, but confirms that something supernatural has happened. Those streams of living water that Jesus talked about just wasn't kind of a pretty word picture that he used. It's, it's actually something that, that happens. It's, it's something that happens as we experience the Holy Spirit filling us from the inside. And, and there may or may not be emotion when it happens, quite often, as we talked about last week, when we sense God's presence in our life, there can be emotion, but it's not necessarily emotion. But friends, it's still a real experience. So how do you know you've had a real encounter with the Holy Spirit and spirit baptism? Well, that's part of the reason for tongues. But there's another reason speaking in tongues is significant and precious part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not only is the baptism something we actually experience, but it's something that we have to participate in. It's something that we have to participate in. We actively participate with the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual partnership. When we speak in tongues, we experience an active partnership with the Holy Spirit. Because the reality of the life of the Spirit flowing within us is, friends, it's not just something that we passively experience. It's something that we have to actively engage. It's something that we we have to lean into. It's something that we partner with the Holy Spirit in. You go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and I'll put the word in, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the disciples spoke, but it wasn't just the disciples speaking. And it was not just the Spirit making them speak. It says that they began to speak. They themselves spoke as the Spirit enabled them, as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. And there's this sense of joyful and supernatural partnership with the Holy Spirit in that moment. And that, friends, if you're going to wrap your head around what this speaking in tongues business is all about, this is key. This is crucial. One of the uh, misunderstandings that people have about speaking in tongues is that, you know, because the Holy Spirit's involved, the Holy Spirit is God. And, and sometimes we think, you know, that this supernatural thing called tongues is just something that, that happens. You know, it's like God supernaturally takes your mouth and, and starts to squeeze and, you know, starts to move your tongue. And, and you know, the, the stuff that comes out, I mean, that's God. Well, that's not how it works. And I, I actually seen that, that, that happen. When we prayed for people to receive the baptism, they just kind of stand there waiting for God to move their mouth. And they miss this understanding of partnership. If you're just waiting for God to do it all, you're going to wait. 
Because that's not how it works. Because to speak in tongues requires an active partnership with the Holy Spirit. And I think, again, that this is so much of the purpose and the reason for speaking in other tongues, for speaking in spiritual language. Our will, our faith, our spirit, and even our bodies cannot be passive in this experience. We are to use our lips, we are to use our voices, we are to use our lungs, we are to use our tongue, and we have to exercise our will and our faith in submission and cooperation and in partnership with the Holy Spirit. We're working together. Have I lost you? Do you get it? Are you beginning to maybe see this in maybe a different way? When you pray in tongues, all of you is involved, your spirit, your soul, and your body. And it has to work together with the Holy Spirit. And when you speak in tongues, the scripture talks about how it's a, it's a language of praise and worship. When you speak in tongues, scripture talks about how it's a language of prayer and intercession. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. When we speak in tongues, it's a process that strengthens and builds us up and, and brings healing on the inside. Scripture talks about we're edified on the inside when we speak in tongues because there's a release of that living water that, within, that is uh, within us by the Holy Spirit. It just begins to flow. And the very nature of tongues being a partnership with the Holy Spirit just brings this sense of communion and immediacy with, with God. I mean, there's, there's something going on right now, right here in me because I'm speaking in spiritual language. Amen. Speaking in tongues also teaches us how to listen and respond to the Holy Spirit so that we can more readily flow in, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Ryan's gonna talk about the gifts next week. But when you begin to understand what's going on when you speak in tongues, uh, specifically this, this partnership, then I think we can begin to understand why God chose tongues and spiritual language to be a sign of, of spirit baptism. You know, maybe it's not as crazy as it sounds. Maybe there is some... Very specific divine intent there. And friends, listen to me. If your spiritual experience has that sense that it's not quite all that it could be or should be, if you're the spiritual equivalent of being bored at summer camp, <laughs> Have you experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues? Now, that's not to say that people that experience the baptism don't also have moments of dryness in their lives. And I, I want to say that it's not the only way that God works in us. God works in us in a myriad of ways. But this spiritual language piece is an indispensable, precious gift that we can't write off. In fact, Jesus says you need to actively seek it. You need to lean in. You need to lean into the Holy Spirit and partner with him. The band taught us a, a great new song, and I'm going to ask Robert to come back, and uh, we're, we're going to sing it again. Um, but I just want to wrap up with this. If you go back to Luke chapter 11, there, there, there's a third thing that Jesus talks about. The Holy Spirit's a good gift from a good father where we're to ask for God's good gift, and then Jesus repeatedly makes the point that, all who ask, receive. We're to keep on asking, we're to keep on seeking, we're to keep on knocking. For everyone who asks, receives, who seeks, finds. 
Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, speaking in tongues is good, but it's not my gift. Have you heard somebody say that? Or maybe you've said that yourself and, and they'll quote um, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 30, where, where Paul says, you know, do all have gifts of healing? And the answer is, well, no. You know, do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Well, the answer is no. Like Paul's asking rhetorical questions and the, and the answer is obviously no. But, but here's the misunderstanding with that verse. Uh, Paul's not talking about tongues in, in that passage as prayer language. He's talking about tongues as a public gift in the church. And basically the difference is between you kind of sitting down there and our vocalists standing and singing up here. So, so the, the, the personal gift of tongues is something that all of us as a congregation are invited to do. But if you're gonna come up here on this stage and you're gonna sing a solo that we're all gonna listen to, that's what Paul is talking about there is the gift of tongues and interpretation. So, and I know when it comes to like even the singing Christmas tree choir, you know, everybody can be in the choir as long as you love to sing and can carry a tune. But then we have people that come out in front and they sing a solo. Well, you know what? We audition them because some can sing and some can't. And that's what Paul's talking about when it comes to that public kind of solo ministry where everybody listens. That's a gift that God gives to some. And in fact, I believe that many of us can use it at various times. But what happened on, on the book of Acts chapter two, that, and what happens in repeatedly throughout the book of Acts where people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues, that's not what Paul's talking about. Same essence, but different application. And so we can get past that, friends. We can get past that. This morning, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. We believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift for all of God's children. But friends, we can't be passive about it. We need to lean in. And so the invitation this morning is to pursue. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in this song again. And friends, can, can I just ask you as we sing, just to, just to lean in. Lean in. There's... So we just want to press into the Lord right now. And so the band's just going to continue to pray, uh, play that. And, and if you've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Lord's given you a prayer language, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to begin to pray out loud. And there's something in, in charismatic and Pentecostal circles we call singing in tongues. And so as the band plays, we're going to sing along. But I encourage you to sing along in your spiritual language. And you know what? If you've never received your spiritual language, now's your chance. This is an opportunity for you. Go for it. Go for it. Just say, Holy Spirit, I want to actively participate with you. I know there's, there's that stream of living water that's, that's already there. The Holy, Holy Spirit, you're in me. And instead of going down into the waters of baptism, like water baptism, I want the, the waters, the living water of the Holy Spirit to come up from the inside and overflow me. And just as that bubbling water comes up, I believe the Holy Spirit's gonna give you spiritual language. 
And you know, there's gonna be all kinds of people all around you singing and praising Jesus. It doesn't matter. So you can just go for it. Nobody is listening to you, okay? And if you're getting weirded out in this moment, just, just, just let the Holy Spirit do something as, as we lean in, okay? Okay? So we're gonna do that. And I just want the band to bring up the volume just a little bit so that, you know, we're gonna not be listening to each other. We're just gonna be focused on worshiping Jesus. Okay, so let's begin to do it. Okay, if you received your spiritual mind, if you just do that, just begin to pray aloud. If somebody around you, if you're praying loud enough for somebody to hear you, that's okay. In fact, that's probably good. Lord, our posture towards you in this moment is moving from awareness to openness to eagerness to a hunger, to a thirst for the fullness of all that you have for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your promise to us. Thank you for your partnership in us and with us. Lord, may the reality of your supernatural presence be something that is so alive in us, that we are never the same again. Lord, that the power of your spirit that is so real, it becomes so active in our lives that we become, Lord, different people. We're changed from the inside out. All of a sudden, there's a boldness that's there to speak for you. Lord, there's, there's an awareness there of what you're doing around us and that we can pray into and that we can minister to other people out of because your spirit is speaking to us and through us. And there's just this, this spiritual engagement that's going on. God, that's calling us out of a dead and dry and boring religious form and calling us into something supernatural of the Holy Spirit. God, that's what we long for. That's what we desire. That's what we value. And so we say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Work in us. Work in us. Work in us. Work in us that we would be the spiritually alive people that you always called and intended us to be. <laughs> Friends, we gotta walk on the spiritual edge. As people of God, we gotta walk on the spiritual edge because it's not just a religion, it's not just a belief, it's the active presence of the Holy Spirit in us. That's where we gotta live. That's where we gotta live, young people, young adults, that's where we gotta live. Amen. That's where we gotta live. Some of you have been sitting on the fence, and I'm saying this prophetically. Some of you have been going, you know what? Yeah, it's all good, but yeah, I don't really know if I can. You know what, you need to get over that. If you're gonna step into all that God has for your life, if you're going to experience miracles, if you're gonna experience God using you in, 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 in ways that, are, that you've heard about, but, you've always thought about somebody else, that's God's invitation for you, for you. And some of you, you've seen it, <laughs> you've seen it. You know what, some of you seniors, you've been around this Pentecostal thing for a long time, shake it up. Shake it up. Some of you, some of you have been, and I know I'm getting long and I'm getting back to preaching, but you know what? Some of you, some of you, it's become routine. 
It's become routine. But the Spirit says and the Scriptures say, not only be filled, but keep on being filled. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Our posture in the Spirit must be, Jesus, we want more. We want more. We need fresh manna for today. We need fresh water for today. There's gotta be something alive in us so that our, 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 our spiritual protégés, the young people that we love, some of them are our children, some of them are our grandchildren, some of them are our spiritual children and grandchildren, but so that they experience the reality that we experienced maybe that first time that night at summer camp where God got a hold of our lives. And we experienced that reality of the water of the living Spirit of God bubbling up in us for that first time. Friends, that's where we need to live. That's where we need to live. So the band's gonna sing this song one more time. And we're gonna be dismissed. If you need to go, you need to go. There's coffee and tea out there.